Hello, I am Cody Allingham and this is the Transformation of Value podcast. This show is brought to you by Swarbricks, the first law firm in New Zealand to accept Bitcoin for legal services. The Swarbricks team are Bitcoiners and they are knowledgeable about the legal aspects of Bitcoin in New Zealand as well as general legal advice. Swarbricks offers a 20% discount for services paid in Bitcoin. Find out more at swarbricks.co.nz Bitcoin. Now in today's episode I talk with Rigel Walsh. Rigel gave a speech at the Baltic Honey Badger Conference this year titled Bitcoin as a Religious Phenomena. We explore this topic and how in many ways Bitcoin provides meaning and purpose in a chaotic world. Whether it is the rapid growth in local Bitcoin meetups post-Covid, the spread of ideas such as self-sovereignty and rules for moral action, or the state of Bitcoin culture on Twitter, the development of the social layer of Bitcoin is undeniable in recent years. We try to understand this movement and how it scales to the world. We also talk about Rigel's time working in the New Zealand police and what he learned there and where he is currently at. I do hope you enjoy this episode. If you want to get in touch with me, please send an email to hello at the transformationofvalue.com and I will get back to you. Otherwise, on to the show. Where are you based at the moment, Rigel? Uh, just in Mexico City right now. Yeah, I, I, your name was quite funny, El Nacho. Oh, oh yeah that's my uh my uh mexican name let's call it yeah yeah oh, that's, <laughs> that's cool man what's the time in mexico at the moment uh 3 p.m 3 p.m oh well, thanks for making time in your afternoon to to catch up um no, all good, actually, all good, all good. i was actually just re-watching your uh baltic honey badger talk about bitcoin as a religious phenomena and uh, it was really interesting really well done how, how did that come about <laughs> thanks I mean, well, I mean, hey, it's something I think we all like think about to some degree, right? Of, you know, it's a bit of a, a meme or a common joke, you know, like Bitcoin's a cult, Bitcoin's a religion, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, kind of like I said in the talk, um, a lot of joke, but no one like seriously looking at the uh, substance behind, big bun behind that, um, that idea or that claim. So, I know, like, I've got a lot of, I've been meaning to do talks. I mean, I did my first one in 2019 and then COVID, COVID happened. And so that kind of put things out of, out of the way for, you know, a year or two, um, just in terms of you know, the A, or the chaos and conferences not happening, but B, travel and everything else going on in my life. So, so I really started again in 2022. And, you know, I've got a lot of ideas in the pipeline. Um, and when I did the first one in, 2022 last year uh, honey badger i was kind of when i was writing i was thinking well i think this is some some substance this is the psychopath versus sociopath one i was like i think this has some good substance but i don't know am i going a little bit out there on the limb too much how well is this going to be received or whatever so i i put that one out there and kind of we'll wait to see how it went down it got a pretty good response so i thought okay uh, i'm on to something here and so to answer your question that is one of many um, kind of like ideas I've sketched out a little that I've, you know, planned to turn into talks. And like I used to more or less be a public speaker as my job for um, two years. So, you know, I'm relatively well um, equipped about, you know, how to put these things together and how to do a, a reasonably good talk. Now I'm just in the process of fleshing them out, which does take a bit of time and also be, you know, like it's a bit easier here than, than New Zealand. That's for sure. You know, get to conferences, but Still, you know, it's it's um, a question of time and money about, um, you know, how many you can go to, even, even without having to spend, you know, like 
two days traveling to Europe from New Zealand, it still takes a lot out of you to, to do the flying and, and uh, you know, the jet lag and everything like that. So, so yeah, I mean, I, that idea is one of many and um, you know, something I, I hope I'm going to do more, but also, you know, it's a case of balancing it out with everything else in your life. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Rajul, where did you uh, grow up? Um, Auckland primarily. Um, I was born in like Tauranga. Spent a bit of time in Wellington while I was a kid, but I mean, yeah, Auckland since uh, when did I moved there, like 1988 or something like that. I think I can't even remember. Mm. But yeah, you know, so so pretty, you know, secondary school, pretty young, and uh, sorry, primary school because I'm pretty young. And so most of the time in Auckland. Yeah, but you got out of New Zealand now, and you're living nomadically. More or less, yes. Um, if you're part of me saying, thankfully, <laughs> um, no, no problem, no problem at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't really, I mean, I haven't got a permanent place of abode really. I'm like a resident in three Latin American countries. And I think this part of the world makes the most sense to be living for a number of reasons. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not really based anywhere. And at this point in my life, I don't really have any intention of, having a solid space so so yeah yeah it's um uh, it's interesting i mean your talk certainly resonated with a lot of things i've been thinking about and discussing on the show here you know i'm i I wouldn't say i have an overt technical focus on bitcoin i'm I'm very interested in the social layer and and some of the the things that are happening around that and and one of those is is the nation and you know covid had really really asked some questions and, and made me ask some questions about you know what is the future of this thing we call New Zealand of home these these kinds of things and and religion as well as you as you talk about in in um, in your Baltic honey badger talk really is something that we're almost going through this rediscovery this renaissance of uh, belonging and morality um and I, I am keen to just talk a little bit more about that because I I think it gets just a little bit less attention than, you know, what's the next bit that's coming up. And, and I know that, that that is your your day job, though, right? You're, you are a, an engineer working mm-hmm. on the technical side. Is that, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd agree with, with what you say in terms of like, I mean, look, uh, what made me become an engineer, because I was not a software engineer until quite late in my life, what made me become an engineer is being so into Bitcoin and really, I think if you understand it, um, you know, some people say like Bitcoin is more money than than code, and I I quite strongly disagree with that because I mean I think like Bitcoin is money by virtue of Bitcoin working, and Bitcoin works because it is software that functions, right? And so really, you know, if you want to find Bitcoin is a system of truth, and if you want to find the source of that truth, it is the code that Bitcoin, you know, the, the Bitcoin software, right? And everything flows from that. It's it's money by virtue of that code functioning. And if there was some unforeseen exploit or even not as something as precise as that, but if there was something like, you know, let's take a, an obvious one of like uh, with the fee subsidy is going to be sufficient to, to um, support Bitcoin forever. Right. Um, you know, that it's a code really. It's those parameters that determine whether Bitcoin is money or is not, you know, if the fee subsidy does not um, subsidize Bitcoin sufficiently in the future, Bitcoin will fail to be money, and the reason is the code, right? So, so really, that that's kind of what. When I kind of grew up there, it made me think, well, you know, I should become an engineer because, I mean, there's an agency in terms of what Bitcoin is. Like Bitcoin is code. It's not like you know, if you, if it was government money, if you wanted an agency, you would join a 
department to do something with economics or monetary policy or whatever, and that would allow you to influence it, right? But if you believe believe in Bitcoin, then you should become a developer, I, I believe. So, so I mean, I think on the one hand, I said there, like Bitcoin is fundamentally is code and there's code and the software and everything else is a byproduct of that. And, you know, Bitcoin is software, but it is not money inherently. It is money because of, by virtue of the software working, right? So software first, money second. Now, that being said, um, I think very much to what you said about uh, the social app being important. If we're, if we're honest with ourselves, you know, I think like Bitcoin is really unlikely to blow up at this stage because of a technical or a um, software-based issue, right? I mean, I think it's lasted this long. No, no one has found any exploit. Nothing has gone wrong. I mean, I think the software itself is relatively robust. And even if someone was to introduce something new that broke it, I think the real shelling points you could say really now is the UTXO set. And I, I believe, and this is my argument about why I say quantum computing or something like that is, is, is relevant because, you know, if it was to break Bitcoin, uh, I think we would simply rewind to the point that that, that first breakage happened, reboot it in some form that was quantum resistant. And the people who had the same amount of money on Bitcoin on this new thing or other would be more likely, I think that would be a more successful model than starting from zero, right? So, so, so in that sense, you know, I think also you could say that um, although it's more likely to be um, Bitcoin is, is software and, and that is the basis of it, it's also important to understand that the, the power of the social layer and that, you know, as I said there, uh, although fundamentally you must have software underlying it, I think that the social layer has also evolved to another kind of point now where it challenges that in some degree. And so, you know, I think that this, the, you know, if the software breaks, like I just said, I think people will find a way to, to create software or, or to fix that software problem. But the real thing that's going to break Bitcoin, I think, are more social, human uh, related issues, right? You know, rather than it being some, you know, some inflation bug or something like that. What's more likely to break Bitcoin is to do with people and more fundamentally to do with culture. And so, so that's why I find that so interesting. And, and that's something I don't think has a lot of, writing or yeah. thought about it and and that's why look i'm a sociologist or social scientist but i'm just one of these people like i think many people in bitcoin think well this thing needs to be done no one's doing it so i'm going to yeah. start doing it yeah well um there's a culture studies theorist called raymond williams who said culture is one of the two or three most complicated words in the english language um and that you know it really talks to that sort of lowercase c and, and uppercase c of culture you know is it is it the clothes we wear and, and the way we talk or is it the deeper belief systems and the way we organize society and i think we're in this interesting place and i think really looking back maybe covid um, and potentially the gfc before that led us to this point where these deep questions are being asked particularly in the west uh about what what we're even doing here you know what, what is the big idea and i think that's something I, I certainly want to dive into because you talk about this idea of an implicit religion in your in your talk at Walter honey badger um the way humans have a history of giving secular objects a spiritual dimension and it's almost this great search for meaning that uh, perhaps nietzsche or others had identified you know hundreds of years ago as we enter into the technology driven world of of modern man uh, where God has become irrelevant and higher purpose has become irrelevant. Um, and, and that's uh, almost a unique thing to Western society. You know, there's still a lot of religious uh, belief in other parts of the world, but certainly in New Zealand, um, you know, it's fairly rare to meet someone who goes to church or is, is uh, you know, has a, a higher belief. I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Rigel? 
I mean, uh, it's interesting because, you know, since I did the talk, I've been kind of thinking about it a bit more and fleshing out some ideas. And, you know, I don't know if I'm going to revisit this and expand on it. Um, but, I mean, kind of how I see it or how I've thought about it is this really is that, I mean, when Nietzsche said, like, God is dead, he didn't mean, like, God is dead and, and God is dead. It was more like, shit, dude, God is dead. Like, what are we going to do? You know, like man has moved beyond religion. Man has seen behind the veil and knows that, you know, what is written in the Bible or what is taught at church is not 100% truth, right? He's questioning the, the, the basis of spirituality, right? And I think if you understand, like, to my mind, I mean, this is obviously a very deep question and with many answers, but I think the simple answer to my mind is like, what is God? Well, God is... A, a metaphor representation of everything that man does not know and cannot understand, right? The world, you know, you just go look at the stars up in the sky. The world we live in is far more profound and grand than our ability to comprehend uh, in our lifetime or many times beyond. It's, it's greater than the human mind to understand. Right? So I really think that God is a representation or a metaphor for everything that is beyond our control or our understanding. And that really the worship of God is is, is an act of humility, if you like, or, or, or a way to, to reconcile a place in the universe of saying there is something far more powerful than what we are, than, than whatever I will create in my life. I am nothing. I am zero. And therefore, that gives you a place, a, a, a kind of, it's a, it's a degree of context in the world, but it's also a way to deal with that existential dread of like, wow, you know, when you think about that, um, you know, that's going to blow your mind. That's going to destroy many people's brains, right? It's just too crazy or infinite or um, kind of nihilistic, I guess, for a lot of people to process, right? And so I think like God, if you look back in every religion and every culture, that's really what God is answering is like, you know, far be, you know, long before we had the degrees of science that we did, you know, there are many things about the world which are crazy, mysterious. And if you thought too much on that, you would go crazy or you'd lose your mind and you'll the lack of agency you had in the world, right? So God is a metaphor for what we don't understand is a way to kind of process and understand the world around us, right? And so I think that not not just is it like a like a like a, a placeholder, if you like, by that, but it's also a, um, a, a way or a or a method um, to to be able to like deal with the world around us and find meaning and find purpose and relates to this thing of. You know, who I'm, when you have consciousness like a human being, you realize how you can look around and realize how insignificant you are in the space of things. Um, God is a way for you to process and understand that as, as a system. So as I talked about in, in, um, in the talk, you know, I think Bitcoin and many other things, but you know, Bitcoin is, is an obvious one. It's, it's no surprise that they take on a religious flavor because it, it, I think it, it answers some of these questions, right, about, you know, um, the, here is the thing which is so perfect and so powerful and so beyond our ability to understand in many, many ways, many fashions, um, that, you know, the only way that we can understand or relate to it is, is the way that we would with God or religion or similar behaviors to those. Yeah. So, well, yeah, yeah there's certainly a, a, a lot of um, mapping between the kind of practice of, you know, of religion and and a lot of the bitcoin um uh you know, you know bitcoin culture and that sort of with the with the idea though that that's not representative of everyone there is i think a, a certain um you know twitter kind of verse twitter verse of you know people who follow that and and also that there is a whole other world of people out there who are just using it as money and they don't ascribe any of that meaning to it so i guess what we're talking about here is sort of that way it seems to capture people and particularly it seems to be a western phenomenon in my experience you know the um, people who are 
being absorbed by this and being uh, captivated by this idea that it's um, more encompassing, um, certainly have a shared connection, uh, you know, perhaps English speaking, um, perhaps, uh, you know, Western countries, that sort of thing. And you talk about uh, a couple of aspects that Bitcoin and religion have in common around social connectedness, meaning making rules for moral action and then creating the sacred amongst the profane. And it seems like there's been this call to action. And again, I, th- I think COVID for a lot of people was what really kicked that off, that there's this kind of real big issue with the way the government can just, you know, control people's lives. They can print the money to control people. They can do all of that stuff that we all are aware of, I think. And that there's something deeply fundamentally wrong and perhaps even evil, you could say, arguably, about that control mechanism and that this is a reaction to that call. Um, and again, this is coming from a place of uh, the West, I think. It's coming from a you know an English-speaking world where we're sharing media, we're sharing these stories. So do you think that's kind of had that, that was a bit of a genesis for this um, increased participation in, in the Bitcoin culture with, with the big C? Yeah, I mean, I think there is definitely, you know, COVID has played a big part in in um, changing people's attitudes or receptiveness towards Bitcoin, right? And and in some ways, I'm I'm cynical about whether it's that great or whether it was the trigger in terms of, I mean, if you simply look at price action um, percentage wise, it's you know it's quite a pathetic performance to be quite frank compared to like say. 2014 to 2017, you know, so, so, I mean, uh, there's a lot of things there about, you know, the scale of, you know, the, the bigger the price, the, the harder it is to move the needle and things like that. So, so I'm not sure if you can put too much credence in that, but, but I mean, I think overall what I see more in terms of Bitcoin culture would be, uh, I feel there's been, and this kind of returns to what my previous Honey Badger talk in 2022 talked about. I feel there's been a, a quite a strong degradation in the, in the strength or the substance of like what Bitcoin culture is, right? There's a lot of like meaningless, meaningless parroting of narratives and, and, and memes and, and stuff. Like people don't really understand Bitcoin or even what these things are. They're just NPCs repeating sound bites. Um, and I think that's become much more prevalent in Bitcoin than it was, say, in 2019, 2018, the last cycle. Um, and, you know, I think the reason is, is partly, as I talked about in that previous talk, this is just how the way things scale, right? The, the bigger things get, the more people, you know, the lower the the uh, the IQ level and on average <laughs> becomes, you know, of people who come in. And um, as I kind of talked about the religion talk and, and in that previous talk as well, well, I mean, part of this is if you want to communicate things at scale, you need simple Dharma messages, which I think is what we see more in, in Bitcoin. But to return to the COVID thing and, and relate that to what I was just saying, I think a lot of people for the first time in their life really questioned their their existence and the surety of, of the world they lived in. I mean, if, I'm surely if we look back at 2019 compared to the whole of human history, that has got to be one of the better, more secure places in human history and civilization that's existed, right? Where everything kind of worked, everything was relatively prosperous, and you could believe the the narratives that were fed to you by governments and other things. And I think, as you mentioned, New Zealand, uh, compared to other countries, is is even worse. Like, it's one of the places where I think people very uh, question very little the government and and the the popular narratives, because things in New Zealand generally are uh, relatively nice, and, and there's you know, you're, you're relatively insulated from all the craziness that happens in the rest of the world. So why would you question things, right? But I think COVID 
really made people realize, you know, just how much of a facade this stuff was. And to me, it wasn't that much of a shock in terms of like, you know, when, you know, like I'm, I'm sure, you know, like I worked as a police officer for 10 years. When you do, you realize most of what people believe about many of these things is a total facade about the competence of the government and the systems that are in place. It's all, it's all a joke, right? You know, but, but I think for a lot of people, they kind of had that realize, uh, realization and that awakening. And, um, you know, I feel, I still feel there's a lot of people, man, who are dealing with, I mean, maybe PTSD is a bit of a strong word to use, but people who are, have, were, had their, their system of belief about, you know, the, the whole basis of their, uh, the way they construct reality was, was uh, fundamentally, uh, Fracked, uh, sorry, fractured or cracked by uh, COVID, and they're still trying to re- reconstruct it. And so, I think to, to sorry, long-winded answer, but to come back to what you were saying about um, the the effect of COVID on on Bitcoin culture and people embracing Bitcoin, I think a lot of people are embracing it blindly and embracing nice-sounding, um, com- comforting narratives about Bitcoin as a replacement for that system of like, you know, just trust the government, everything's good. Well, no, we can't believe that. Let's believe Bitcoin and, and um, you know, it's, it's perfectly unstoppable. The governments can't stop it. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, this, it's you know, un- impossible to be hacked, all these kind of things, which there are many caveats too, right? You know, um, and so I think like what we see is a lot of people had their reality shaken by COVID. They saw Bitcoin as a religious replacement for the state, you know, Nietzsche talked about this quite a lot in Zarathustra of, um, was it called the new idol? And uh, that chapter, you know, where he's talking about, you know, I, I, you know, my name is the state, I'm the new God. I think, you know, that's kind of all that happened is Bitcoin replaced that uh, for a lot of people. But unfortunately, I don't think that the quality of understanding was any greater than it was before. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You, you talk about, mate, you may be dumbing down the message of, of Bitcoin. Um, I'll, maybe push back a little bit on that i agree that there is certainly cheerleading happening and uh, one of my goals that i set out with this uh, podcast was uh, a deep focus on uh, truth seeking and even if that flies against um you know what's being talked about in the bitcoin world you know actually to push back and ask the questions um and and you know accept that i don't actually know anything and so all i can do is ask questions but in terms of the you know the lowering of the iq i almost feel like it's more of a um you know, it's that group think that, you know, you talk about it, you know, you go to a, a, a Christian music festival or, a, you know, one of these kind of mega churches and everyone is part of the crowd or even a festival, just, you know, any, any old kind of event um, uh, where people are brought together. They have this other kind of consciousness, which is not in a way that probably explains why, you know, people love their summer festivals and that because you can be part of this collective and you lose yourself in that collective uh, and that's, you know, historically you saw that, you know, festivals and then sort of certain rituals and things where you could become part of that. But, you know, something like COVID creates an isolation and atomization of people into work from home on their laptop kind of kind of people. And so maybe part of that is, is you know, there's something very blissful about being part of a, of a collective where you lose yourself into that, perhaps. No, I absolutely, absolutely agree with, with what you just said. But I mean, here, here to me is that, the, the contradiction or the, the 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 issue with that right is yes I think like there is a massive part of Bitcoin and Bitcoin festivals and uh, sorry um conferences and things like that that are exactly that is that people and I talked about this in the religion talk right a part of what people seek you know and people fundamentally need human beings is connection to other people right and not just connection to other people but to be connected together in pursuit of some higher cause or some higher 
goal or, or, or mission, right? You know, to be a cog in a wheel of something greater than what you are, right? Yeah. It's something that people fundamentally seek. Um, and we talk about religion. I mean, religion is a system of mysticism, right? It's based on unknown things. And religion is not a science, right? Religion is is an art more than it is a science, I guess. But but it's really like, it's, it's something where you do not have these, you know, despite, you know, what the Bible might say or, or other things, you know, don't have these like rigid truths, right? Where they are still open to interpretation and there is not like a, you know, like a, like the laws of physics where if you push against something, you will find a, a point where, you know, you get pushed back, right? You know, a lot of religion is based on the idea of, well, you can't know these are unknowable things. And therefore, you know, you have things like faith or, or belief, which help you uh, deal with these. And that's how you relate to these unknowns, right? Whereas I think Bitcoin is fundamentally different to those things. There are hard and un- unchangeable truths to Bitcoin. You know, there, are, there are ways, you know, because it is really like a social organism, you know, Bitcoin can change and evolve and, and morph. And, and it's not like, you know, like gravity is a, is a constant, you know, whereas, whereas things within Bitcoin are, are in flux uh, mostly, most of the time. But at the same time, it is not like, um, the, the fundamental issue is, and I think this is the real cultural problem that Bitcoin faces, which I'm trying to allude to in many different ways, but if I was to sum it up in a sentence, is that human beings have a tendency to, to want to desire these things, which are fundamentally uh, not scientific, and they're fundamentally not fact-based, and they're fundamentally based on emotions, right? And Bitcoin is the opposite of all these things, right? This is a solid, unchangeable um, mathematical system of truth. And uh, these two things are in contradiction with each other because, you know, people um, want to behave in a way which is emotionally gratifying, but something that is emotionally gratifying is not what works for Bitcoin as a system of mathematics and, and numbers and cryptography, right? So, I mean, I think like just... <laughs> Simple, simple example. This, I mean, there's many. You can go on about this for, for many hours and in many different ways. But you know, let's, let's take for example the opsec people versus um, you know, let's let's be honest. Something they say Swan Bitcoin right work is doing right. You know, Swan has a very um, out out there public um, kind of way of approaching things and and is really trying to make Bitcoin very normal and approachable and and not this weird computery thing, but a lot more relatable, right, to to people and they can understand, right. And, you know, the culture that you'll see at that and other conferences now is, is a lot more, I can see it, just a lot more normal and it's a lot more um, kind of what you would expect at a music festival or something like that, right? But, you know, I, I remember the days of Bitcoin conferences where people were very aggressive about not taking photos of people without their permission, you know, about privacy, about, um, you know, OPSEC and things like that, right? And, you know, that is because, you know, you have like a digital um undoubtable mark marked on the blockchain forever right and so these steps are important and the things that you want to be uh, proactive about to to protect your your identity and your your stuff in the future but that sounds in direct uh, competition or sorry against if you like you know the idea that well at some point if bitcoin is going to become the money of the world um, just like a revolution in the streets right you can have like the secret groups meeting Whatever, but at some point you've got to realize the groundswell is there where you get out the streets with banners and flags and everyone joins you and storms the, you know, the the, the parliament or whatever it may be, right? And so there, there I think there is an inherent contradiction there where neither of those two is inherently right or wrong. But I mean, I think this tendency to make it more social, to make it more relatable, to to appeal to human emotions, 
is also somewhat in contradiction with the nature of like what makes Bitcoin successful. And again, you know, kind of part of what I want to talk about is, is to, to, to understand this contradiction, right, of, of Bitcoin as software and it must finally function as software for it to be money. But, you know, if, if it's just a repo on GitHub, well, there's never money and, and this thing that can take over and control the world, right? So we've got to bridge this, this gap between these two things. But no one is talking about this. No one understands or has done any writing about how this cultural gulf is um, kind of crossed in a way which, you know, is, is uh, non-disruptive and is going to minimize damage on, on both sides. And so again, yeah, this is just what I'm trying to talk about and elaborate on. All these things is just how do we how do we do this? Because it's a very important part of what the future of Bitcoin. But again, some, something no one's talking about. Yeah, well, I mean, we've been talking about religion here, but what really comes to mind when you talk about physics and how physics, you know, you push hard and it starts pushing back at a certain point. There is actually a layer above that which Plato talks about, which is mathematics. Which there is a you know I think a subtle nuance there. You know Plato talks about mathematics living, and you know Plato and Socrates talk about mathematics living in this abstract space of pure, um, you know, pure abstraction where you know a triangle always has you know 180 degrees on its three sides. You know, and that's never able to be reproduced in um, in in the real world because you know physics you go you go hard enough and you get into the quantum level and stuff just gets messy but there is this beautiful place of abstract mathematics that exists and philosophy is about trying to bring that below the line and into the way we live our lives and you know that's kind of what a lot of this ancient uh you know greek philosophy is looking at and and that role of mathematics was really important um and that was pre-christian as well so there was this different understanding fundamentally which i think is impossible for us to understand today because we're you know we're brought up in not necessarily a christian environment but in a christian worldview that has developed over the last few thousand years um and so there, there is there is mathematics there which at the core is is code and and bitcoin um lives at the top of that but rigel I, I, you mentioned you you work in the police for 10 years I am curious to, to maybe just learn a little bit more about that because that's uh, certainly an interesting place to be working within the state, um, seeing how it works from the inside, um, something we're often we're looking at it from the outside and being critical of it. But like, what was your experience? What were you doing there? And, and what did you learn during that, uh, during that time? Uh, yes, I mean, I joined when I was 21, and that was probably from reading too much Nietzsche, um, et cetera, uh, where, you know, I wanted – you know, my – Belief was that you know to understand reality fundamentally in oneself, you need to like embrace danger and, and real danger, not like you know some nice sanitized version, but you know really seek out the the, the dark side of the soul, if you like, you know for yourself and for for the world around you. Um, so you know really it was just that, and and you know I I didn't wasn't interested in university. I didn't really see any kind of future career. For me so so that was kind of what i fell into so i mean i did it for 10 years and you know i worked in south auckland which you know you would know is, is you know pretty much the most dangerous part of new zealand and the highest crime area and things like that and and i did um, yeah, pretty much everything uh, within uh, that that area you know like the 111 response emergency response staff i was Sergeant at the custody cells, worked at the courts, um, did traffic stuff, did some investigations, worked on a couple of murders. Um, and, um, yeah, and so the last thing I did, though, for the last year and a half was um, the um, kind of security detail for John Key. So we get his house uh, 
there as part of a well, it's, in the, it's a separate group to the diplomatic protection service but for all intents and purposes it's the same thing as the, the dps so i did that for a year and a half and um basically it was a combination of two things like one i um so you know i was doing the residential security and to do the you know the, the bodyguard stuff for for the prime minister there's a selection course which is you know, not not quite as extreme, but yeah, relatively close to something like you know, the SAS selection or something like that. And um, so I did that. And um, uh, at the time, there was this diplomatic fallout in the newspaper where um, there was this kind of empire building thing where you had DPS in Wellington, what was called VIPs in Auckland, which were the same people, same skills, same everything. But the DPS wanted to be the people who protected the prime minister. And so every week someone would fly up from Wellington and spend the majority of the time in Auckland traveling around and collect quite a nice hefty bonus for being out of town and doing that. Let's get out to the paper. There was a budget blowout of several million dollars. And the decision was made that you know, it was going to move from Wellington to Auckland because that's where the prime minister was. And so they, this is, I mean, this might surprise you, but this is very normal for the police, this, this sort of behavior. They didn't like them having their empire taken away. So they failed pretty much everyone from Auckland, including me on the course, even though I like, completed the, the training course, but I failed everyone and gave them this like nasty, you know, remarks on their, on their uh, report. And there was a big inquiry and eventually, you know, they got all scrubbed off my record years later. But, you know, that made me realize, you know, this, this organization is fucking bullshit. And, um, you know, I, I never in- intend to spend 10 years and here I am here, you know, this deep into this, I've got to get out. So I just left on 10 years in a day. Uh, as a consequence of that, and as a consequence of if I don't leave this immediately, I'm going to get too sucked into this world because, I mean, I think it it's it's very beneficial. It shows you, you know, it gets you very confident with dealing with danger and very confident just in, in general. Um, you get to understand a lot about how the government works and how power and things work and how this illusion that's presented to you about what the state is 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 an illusion um and um but it also you know kind of starts to fundamentally fuck with your mind and, and form you into this you know this this rigid way of thinking and so you know i decided i had to get out of that after 10 years yeah so and when you're referring to the you know the, this organization talking about new zealand police right so the yeah yeah so with that um i mean again looking from the outside but there is a would you say there's a, a group think and a, a rigid way of thinking that would reject Abs- yeah, self-criticism absolutely dude yeah, yeah absolutely i mean well i mean part of it is like i think people don't who criticize that don't quite understand the idea of like when you are literally you know in in risk of of, of dying every day you know you are quite regularly in situations which are um not only physically harmful but you know also like politically harmful in terms of you know, you will find yourself in some situations where to be completely honest, direct, tell the truth, you know, like present things exactly as they are um, is is not the correct strategy in terms of it's going to be manipulated by other people. Um, it's going to, you know, uh, create unnecessary uh, questions or prolonged processes. It's, you know, so, you know, there are, there is a pragmatic way of doing things, right? I think everyone understands that, but it's a little different when, uh, the consequences of that are like life or death. And so, you know, this evolves this culture, which I kind of talked about in the 2022 talk of, of like, 
um, you know, a lot of this culture of like this culture of silence, right. And, and um, covering up on things and like, you know, to be honest, I never saw anything in the police that was that, you know, like people taking bribes or anything like that was that crazy, or at least nothing I was directly involved in, but you know, th- this, this, this culture evolves because that is the world you live in, right. You know, when you are dealing with real danger and real uh, problems, you, you can't, behave like the the average civilian does right it's just not that that kind of world right so i mean i think there is a group think that evolves from that of like you know same thing in the armed forces of like staying in line because you know you've got to form this kind of phalanx uh, physically and, and metaphorically around people to to protect the organization and protect others and if you can't trust the person next to you then you can't trust anyone right this the system can't really work so that encourages um, a group think in, 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 in some ways, which is beneficial, right? That's why that organization works and didn't have that, it wouldn't work. But at the same time, you know, there's a lot of bullying and, and like stupid behavior that goes on to reinforce that. Like, you know, silly example, a pretty common thing to, to happen when you're like a new cop is you get your notebook and you put it on the photocopier to, to photocopy some notes and you forget about it and you leave it on the photocopier. And then you know, rather than someone saying, hey, you left your notebook here, you'll just suddenly realize it's gone and you go back and you can't find it. And then a, a Polaroid will show up in your locker with your, you know, the, the notebook above the toilet saying a 24 beers or the, the notebook gets it right. You know, which is kind of, you know, it's kind of silly childish behavior, but it's also this kind of, and it's kind of like schoolyard bullying stuff, but it's also reinforcing of like, there's not the time to like, Hey, say, sorry, you lost your notebook, right? This is real. Now switch on, pay attention, you know, because that could be, that notebook could have been in someone's, you know, left it on some some guy's um, desk, you know, with the details of some witness in a murder or something like that, right? So, mm-hmm. so these behaviors exist for reasons, and I think you see the same thing in Bitcoin of like toxicity is the same thing, right? Of it's stupid childish behavior, but it exists for a reason because it achieves a social purpose. Um, but I still think we can do better in some ways. You know? do, do you think? So, just one more point on on that um, police experience. Do you think? Um, there's a naivety, certainly from a civilian perspective, I think, you know, and, and, and seeing what happened, you know, with, um, with the protests and all of that and thinking that somehow there's this deep c- corruption. But on the other side of it, from inside, having seen the human nature and just the, the you know, the, the, the edges of society and these fringes, that there's this necessity for that, uh, that kind of force and that, um, that, that, that system. Is, is it naive for a, you know someone to think that you know we can live in a, a trade-based negotiation contract-based? We don't need the force of the state to enforce laws or to to do any of this stuff. Like, how does that? How do you see that all working together in a a, a less prominent government world? Yeah, difficult difficult question. So, I mean, like to to answer your to answer your first thing, like corruption, like define corruption, right? You know, I mean. I think we would all agree that, like, if you're talking about the police, you know, taking a bribe to to do or not do something, or to you know conceal evidence or whatever, or lie about something that took place, is corruption. But I mean, if it's slightly um, changing the words or the context or omitting certain things, is that corruption? You know, it's it's, a, it's not like a black and white kind of thing, right? So I think you could say, if you want to be absolutist, all police forces are corrupt. They're all uh, things that exert physical force are corrupt because you know the truth 
and pragmatism are not good bedfellows, right? So, so, so I mean, I think that that exists to a certain degree, but I mean, if you compare that to, for example, how things work here in Mexico, what you'd expect oh, yeah. experience here in Mexico, very different kind of worlds, right? So I think it's, it's, it's a relative term um, about, um, you know, how, how you see that. But I mean, I, again, you know, if you were to compare those two and say what you said about the purpose of the state, I mean, I think, I think really it's just the way that people conceive and their expectations from these things, right? I think New Zealand and Mexico are good ones to contrast in the terms of at home, there are people have this expectation. Uh, and, and to me, I mean, to me, it was funny ever since I became a police officer in terms of like, you, you know what the reality is on one hand, you see the way people behave and you realize how out of sync these two things are as far as what they expect and the reasons that justify these these behaviors are like, oh, you know, I can't do this. It might, I might get caught or I might get, you know, like you realize how thin those resources are or how unlikely it is to happen. You realize how out of sync it is, right? But but when, especially when somewhere like Mexico where, um, you know, like it, it, just, it doesn't work that way, you know, like, like if you want to get something done, you have to pay someone some money, right? And that is just just the way it works. Whereas in New Zealand, like the idea of bribery is, is insane. Like, you know, if you, if you were to tell me what you were well, like, tell me what, what do you think if you were to bribe a cop to like, to get you out of a, a speeding ticket or something like that, what do you think you would pay in like New Zealand dollars? Oh, I mean, personally, I think if I said to him, Oh, look, man, you know, and tried to slip him a hundred bucks, I think he'd come down on it like a ton of bricks on me. And I think yeah, he would, yeah. sit, so, sit, so he'd, he'd would arrest me. So- yeah. What would be the sort of money where you think he might like think, well, this is wrong, it's illegal, but this is this this much money? Like, what, what's the figure you think? You'd, I, I think to 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 turn a New Zealand cop, it, it would have to be five ten thousand dollars, you know, for yeah, for some, that's what, that's what you'd think, right? Yeah. And I would think a similar thing, right? Because you know they'd be like, oh, you know, maybe it's a small fraction, but the cost of me getting caught is, is is very significant, right? Whereas here in Mexico, like, dude, like. 200 pesos, which is what is that New Zealand dollars nowadays, like 20 bucks, something like that, 20, you know, 18 dollars. That's what it would cost you to get out of there because it's so normal and that's the way things work. But I mean, let, let me give you another contrasting example in terms of like, um, it hasn't happened to me yet, but it's happened to a few friends where technically, like, marijuana here is, is, it's in a gray area where the Supreme Court has found that the rules making it illegal are, are unconstitutional, but it's still illegal on, on paper, right? Now, you know, in New Zealand, if you get caught with a bit of weed, you know, generally New Zealand people are relatively lenient about this, but, you know, if they decide to charge you, right, you know, you can go to court and there's going to be at least three court gates, you know, right, you might get like legal aid, but, you know, you're probably going to have to pay a lawyer. Someone is paying this lawyer. There's a lot of time and effort spent to do this thing, which is, you know, maybe you'll get like community service, a fine, a slap on the wrist, whatever. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff to go with that, right? Whereas here in Mexico, if you get caught with a bit of weed, like you had a similar thing, 200 pesos, something like that would but pay it off, right? You know, and to me that, that that like sorry to say that is a bit of system as far as I'm concerned in terms of like we all know we're all going to waste our time. We all know that the actual consequences of this are like nothing and significant. So let's all just reach an agreement. You're happy, I'm happy, you know, and so you just pay to get the system done. The same same thing works with a lot of immigration um, systems here where you know you can do it the full legal legit way and wait a long time, or you can pay you know like a uh, expedition fee you know to to speed speed things up and you know the job gets done quicker right now now maybe that's not like um fair for everyone there's people who can't afford to to, you know to pay those kind of things but to be quite honest with you i think like that's simply 
it's a user pay system really is what goes on there. And, you know, uh, for me, it's definitely my situation. I'd rather have the user pays one than, than the traditional one where, you know, if you're talking about an immigration process in New Zealand, like imagine trying to speed that up with a bit of money or something like, you know, it's going to take forever and there's all this bureaucracy, you know, so, 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 I mean, sorry, to to come to the point of what you're saying, I mean, I, I think like when you're here, you realize from a, from a nice Western country, things work fundamentally well. You think that these, you know, who will build the roads, right? How do these systems work without government and stuff? And something like Mexico is, it's not quite as chaotic as a lot of people think, but it is, you know, quite an anarcho-capitalistic kind of place, really, if you look at it. Things don't fundamentally break down. They don't, you know, think, it's not like things grind to a halt, you know. It, it's, they, they are, the things can work without there being this level of security or this level of, um, organization of bureaucracy that we, we're accustomed to. It's just, you know, you need to have a different paradigm to it. Sometimes it's more wasteful. It's, you know, like more time gets wasted here or there, but, you know, in some ways it's better. So I think it, it's kind of horses for courses, I guess, would be my long answer to, to yeah. the question. Yeah. No, I mean, I think certainly the market forces speak. And if um, there's, you know, a bribe is a, um, it's a market mechanism to, to get stuff done, right? And so it's understandable, um, and I, I certainly think there's a lot of discourse required. Uh, you know, how, you know the classic one. How do you build the roads? I mean, I had a guest on uh, last week. Um, the episode hasn't been released yet, but talking about basically the state of New Zealand infrastructure, which um, uh, it, it's, it's, it's not, it's not, isn't it? It's not in a good place. Let me put it that way. We lost yeah. water here at the office and um, a few other things the other day because of Wellington's pipes, and it sort of puts it into perspective that you know you could delegate to this um you know this hierarchy of of the state and the the church of the state but ultimately there is market forces required and if i could pay someone to just sort it Mm -hmm. out and get you know get my water working i'd I'd gladly do that um and and look dude that's 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 exactly i think just a great way to phrase it of like we think you know you you pay taxes and you have a system that's all about board and there's low corruption right that that things work better and you know there's a lot of arguments made for that but new zealand is a great country i think you see where the bureaucracy and red tape gets to a certain level where yes it's all by the book but what is by by the book becomes so complicated and tangled and so much money is expended you know on lawyers and consultants and stuff in this process that it you know kind of it, it starts to become a very inefficient process and not ideal simply because you know like you think like corrupt is bad the same process of corruption of like uh, people siphoning money out of the system and things succeeding not based on meritocracy but based on like other bullshit equally applies to a to an overly bureaucratic country you know so yeah yeah. um just taking things in a different direction so certainly um you know looking critically at the, the the discourse on twitter about Bitcoin, you know, this kind of, you had a meme there on your talk around the, the fundamentalist Bitcoin starter kit, and it's got like a, a Glock and a Holy Bible, a cold card, and um, I can't remember what the other thing was, but, you know, it's sort of the steak. Oh, yeah, and the steak, sorry, the meat eating thing. And I look at that, and, and often, you know, having traveled quite a lot and, and spent time in, in Southeast Asia in different places where you've got kind of the opposite of all of those things, you've got, um, you know, huge parts of, of of Asia or huge parts of the world which, which are vegetarian for their religious you know uh, re- reasons uh, they've got a, a karmic system uh, they've got a you know it's it's not Christianity um, there's this different kind of worldview and I wonder 
where that how those things connect uh, obviously bitcoin as we talk about it, it is a technology that has a social layer but it certainly seems there's some very strong um, dogmatic things that i've seen you know and even quite technology oriented media you know bitcoin media really coming out saying oh you know eating meat's great and you know, don't the vegetarian things a scam and and and, and trying to like bridge those two worlds because there's there's a billion people out there who, who are on, a, on the other side of that uh, how do you see that working i mean i think as you said there there's that's just twitter right and that's a very small very vocal minority compared to you know the the, the whole world of what you would call like bitcoin users you know i don't know if you've seen like sergey from bit talk talk um, uh, from 2022 at um, Bitcoin Pizza Day about that. You know, we talked about Bitcoin as a tool, or Bitcoin as a movement, right? And I think those people are obviously very heavily in the movement space. And that's a small, very small percentage, I think, of like Bitcoin users, if you were to talk about anyone who just happened to have some Bitcoin. Um, but, you know, I think they do move the, the needle a lot more than, than some people would think, right? You know, an obvious one now is you see a lot of these kind of, you know, larger personalities like people like Jordan Peterson or Russell Brand or, um, you know, people like that that are repeating these memes, which I remember being there starting in 2018, 2019, with credit by people like Sephardine, you know, about, you know, before that you had people like Pierre Richard and Bitstein talking about sound money and things, but that was a very small uh, part of, you know, what Bitcoin culture is, right? But, you know, it's, it's really him and and the memory of i think a lot of the the twitter space and things like that that made these and steel man these these arguments if you like into like very repeatable sound bites which are very which have a lot of thought and and gravitas behind them and so a lot of these influencers naturally they want to create content they want to entertain people they want to engage people they take these ideas and use them right and so i think that the work of the twitter space is not something to like be ignored or or, or dumbed down because it has really ended on the world scale. You know, politicians are using the word shitcoin, right? You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's not for nothing, you know, but on the other hand, yeah, I mean, as you said, that's, that's not everyone. And I, it's not certainly not representative of everyone. Right. And I think one thing which is very clear to me is that like America dominates the narrative, at least certainly on Twitter. I don't think at conferences, but definitely, um, in, on Twitter far more heavily than anywhere else. And that, of course, you know, like not wanting to necessarily criticize America or Americans for this, but of course, you know, you can't help but introduce your own biases and, and, and flavors into this, right? And so I think you do see a lot of these very American kind of uh, behaviors and cultures come through, which is not an uncommon thing in our world, right? If you look at like media, TV, you know, that's why America is, uh, why I personally think China has got a shot in hell of overtaking America is that one thing that America does very well is exporting its culture and its culture is a very powerful force of control and domination and things like that. Right. So I don't think it's, it's that different than movies or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that one thing that a lot of these people um, forget and is something I think culturally that we, in my opinion, should, should address or should tackle with is right. This is very uh, Bitcoin is, is like sound money as an investment tool Um as like not really understanding it for like how you know 80 90 percent of the world is going to use it i mean not that quite that much but it's definitely beyond 50 percent of the world is needs to use it right it's not like they don't have the luxury of um you know like seeing it as an investment vehicle or things like that these people want to actually use it as a day-to-day tool to achieve things which 
you know, if you have are living in a first world country with, with good financial services, you don't need things that Bitcoin can provide. And so I think that kind of warps the view and warps the way that Bitcoin is presented. And, you know, to come back to that meme, you know, uh, the biggest problem I think with, with Bitcoin culture in my mind would be that of like, People and and I think social media is largely responsible for this too. Is people believe that the the way to, to propagate Bitcoin is to yell as loudly as and as aggressively about their particular way of Bitcoin and and not listen to anyone and just talk at talk at talk at talk at rhetoric 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 rhetoric. Which to come back to the talk itself, you know, there's there's one other group of people which is famous for doing that, which people really don't like, and that's Jehovah's Witnesses, right? You know, and that's I think how a lot of these Bitcoin people come across to other people in terms of they. Uh, through you know i think a lot of this like orange pulling stuff too right it's like people like oh, i orange pulled this guy today at the cafe store to accept bitcoin is like well he's probably not going to continue to accept it you know a week or two after you've left and if you try and force it on this guy when you know if you've got like a relatively well-off part of the states there's probably not a lot of people wanting to pay with bitcoin because they're so afraid of capital gains taxes and things like that right where that's actually probably more counterproductive to bitcoin than than going about another way, right? But people don't want to advance Bitcoin. They want to have something to tweet about on Twitter to make people feel that they're all good. And to come back to that social reinforcement that we were talking about earlier, that's what people are really after, right? And and yeah, so I think this is a good like little tidbit of why Bitcoin culture isn't always aligned with the best interest of Bitcoin itself, right? Because it's, mm-hmm. it's serving people's emotional needs rather than what actually makes this thing work um, yeah. at scale. That's a really good way of putting it. And I think, the, the emotional needs of Bitcoiners who maybe lived through for the first time in their life, perhaps a, a real traumatic political event, which was the COVID lockdowns and all of that. You know, maybe this is a part of a, a coping mechanism. But I wonder if we can reframe this and look at something like the development of the Internet or the personal computer, which, you know, you, you go to a, a village in, in Thailand or, um, you know, India or something. They're probably going to have an Internet connection, uh, maybe, maybe not a computer, but maybe a phone. They've got this technology, but then they're also, you know, devout Sikhs or Jainists or Hindus or whatever, and they've got a completely different worldview around their 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 personal existence, uh, karmic system, all of this stuff, uh, which just doesn't compute with a you know a kind of an orthodox Christian worldview, um, mm-hmm. and yet they can communicate through this internet thing, or, or they can use uh, an app on their phone, and I, I wonder whether the vanguard of this Twitterverse um, kind of you know eat the meat, have the gun. Um, you know, kind of, you know, you know, very American centric. Which even uh, for, for a New Zealand perspective, it's like, okay, that's interesting. That's a, that's a little bit over here, and mm-hmm, a, a, bit, mm-hmm. a bit further than what you know what we're used to or what I'm used to in New Zealand. Um, maybe that's you know important for America as you know, uh, you know, a large leading country. But maybe it's actually the technology and the underlying thing, and that's where we come back to the code and the mathematic abstraction. We can all take something from that, and maybe it's not something that we can colonize and bring that to these people. Maybe they actually need to bring it to their own people and have their own media platforms, their own language, their own decentralized communities that for them, it's like, oh, you know, that's what the Americans are talking about when they're talking about Bitcoin. But for us, it means this. And because we can all connect on it, we're not building different systems. It is a network and it is it has a network effect. Um, maybe, maybe that's the longer term vision. So th- there's this need for you know, the yelling and the screaming, I guess, so, so that it, it survives because it still is a teenager, really. Um, you know, there's still this period of time where it's vulnerable, where, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. But as it matures and it, it leaves the nursery, it leaves the school, it, it becomes an adult, 
maybe that's where some of those, um, you know, it went through its goth period and now it's it's going to stand up and actually be part of the world. I, I don't know. Like, um, I mean, look, here's, here's what I think, right? It's like, um, let's compare that to the internet or perhaps better to like an application or something like Facebook, right? You know, it's not like a, a perfect mapping, but it is a mapping we could use to, to unpack this, right? Um, I mean, I think there is a reason why America is the great prominent nation that it is, you know, and I, I certainly have plenty of things to criticize about the United States, but but at the same time, you can't deny that they are a massively uh, culturally and geopolitically dominant force. And that's not purely out of being a large country or, you know, somewhat rich in resources or whatever. It's part of the culture of, of American people. And, you know, I think the founding principles of the United States are some very great founding principles, right? You know, how they have worked out over time, maybe I would debate, but, but you know, I think, um, you know, that, that is the reason that America is not a great nation purely out of coincidence or good geography. It's it's out of the culture that it's created, right? And if you were to take things like Facebook, for sure, I mean, I you know, I believe there are far more uses of Facebook in the developing world than there are in, in America, as an example, right? But America absolutely dominates the narrative and the way that it's used and the way it's evolved partly because, of course, Facebook is located in the United States, but also because Americans are very good at um, monetizing and, and um, uh, turning things in the, in the terms of, like, uh, outputs. They're very output-driven people, right? And, um, you know, I think that comes at the cost of a lot of um, kind of cultural or, or communal um, aspects, which are much harder to, to measure in metrics than dollars, cents, you know, raw outputs are, you know, but um, but nevertheless, you know, I think like uh, America is as influential as it is for certain reasons, right? So, you know, if we were to look at this in terms of Bitcoin, I don't think it's a surprise that Americans have the, the megaphone and in my opinion will continue to do so in the future because, you know, that's that's one of the things that they do very well is, you know, they've got a lot of experience and well-worn patents and, and exporting their culture and their, their way of doing things to the world. And the general, the world is quite receptive to those things, right? Now, the difference, of course, is Bitcoin is not a company, is not controlled by one set of people. So really what it is in aggregate is not, decided by Mark Zuckerberg in, you know, in San Francisco, whatever. It's some sort of um, emergent consensus or, or equilibrium about what exists in the world. Um, and so I think what you're describing is, is, is possible is that something like Bitcoin is something which might break that, that mold, right? Might break that narrative. You know, again, I think America is the dominant force because they're very good at ex crafting and exporting narratives and you know, hard workers as well, you know. So, so that's kind of where it is. But it's not impossible, I think, with something like this, where uh, one nation or certainly you know conglomerate of other nations could could be a more powerful force. But here are the two problems, as far as I see them. One is that the majority of information and discourse, and a particular narrative and philosophy on Bitcoin, you know, if you want to use that term in terms of like, what is the purpose of Bitcoin? What is its use? Why should you be interested? It's in English. Um, and, you know, of course, you have things like Google Translate, but, you know, certainly living in, in Mexico and, and traveling through Latin America, it's not as easy as you would think or it's not as common as you would think for people to just simply translate an English article word across. You know, if, if the majority of Bitcoin content was in Spanish, I think we would have very, very different worlds in Bitcoin than we do now, right? Which might seem surprising to some people who are native English speakers given how easy it is to translate things nowadays, but but you really see it when you live in a country where you know, English is not the native language. Um, and the other one is is that, um, you know, for those things to exist, 
you know, what is what is the drip, what is the core narrative? What are the real steel man arguments that we have in Bitcoin today? They're all things around Bitcoin is sound money. It's a it's a vehicle for savings. This is a savings technology. It is digital gold. It is all these things, right? Now, if you look at the old writings, you know, things like talks that Andreas Antonopoulos gave. You know, before this was a popular narrative, and this is really only a popular narrative 2018 onwards. You know, it was very different. You know, his, his message was more like Bitcoin is a very human thing. You know, it's something which is going to win because it's able to be controlled by all people. It's it's the money of the people and of the world, not of some some one kind of person, right? But I mean, I think like the reason that this narrative has got ahead is it works, and it's it's a very simple one, right? Everyone wants to get rich, and I think that's why. I'm, most people got involved with Bitcoin was greed initially, at least, you know. And so I think it is a very powerful narrative, but I don't believe it is the narrative, certainly not the narrative, is certainly not that simple. And I personally don't believe it is the most important narrative either. And I think if Bitcoin is to be shaped or, or controlled, if you like, if you could put it that way, by other places in the world, that is what is missing, is like an alternative narrative about Bitcoin that makes sense to a large amount of people in the world, right? Like living in, in Mexico, you know, of course, you know, people want money. You know, of course, it's, it's, it's normal, right? But what's more important to people, you know, I think there are certain countries in the world where if you, uh, if someone closely related to your group of friends or your, um, your uh, social circle dropped $100 on the ground and they didn't know about it, that they would take that money and they wouldn't tell the person, right? And there are other countries or cultures in the world where, they would feel so guilty or so impelled or they're so collectivist in nature what they would, even though they might never need the hundred dollars, they would give it to the person because that is their culture. And that is what is important. That's their values. Right. And so I think like a lot of what that the whole narrative that is really pushed out at the current moment is a very individualist, very, you know, obviously that's, that's an American trade, right? It's one of the most individualist, if not the most individualist country in, in the world narrative, but I don't think it's one that resonates as strongly um, as a collectivist one with the majority of the world. Um, and I believe that narrative exists for Bitcoin, but the re the thing is, is people just haven't steel manned it the way they have with something like, say, the Bitcoin standard and all the other memes and tweetery that's come, you know, burst off of that, right? Where it's such a strong, easy to impart through sound bites, even though I think a lot of subtlety and important stuff gets lost. It's easy to, 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 to kind of hammer that message on social media, right? Whereas I think, Maybe that does exist for a more collectivist message or things about like culture, freedom, um, things like that. But it's a much harder one to impart directly in a way that gets people's attention as quickly as like, hey, you're going to get rich, right? Yeah. Well, so, so I think that would be my, my summary. Yeah. No, no, that's all good. And look, that really, um, I mean, what, what stands out to me is here we are, two New Zealanders, you know, talking from different sides of the world about Bitcoin. Um, clearly, we can, we've, we've both identified that there is a, a way that it is spoken about and there is this kind of idea of, of a Bitcoin culture with the meat and the guns and the, you know, and, and the cold card kind of meme. But actually, what we're doing here is we're interpreting that. And for my listeners and, and for people who, who want to engage that, they can come here and we're doing that. And I've had a similar experience in Japan where I, I met um, the translator of the Bitcoin Standard and, and, and her, how she was able to turn that into Japanese and something that was um, you know, palatable and understandable from a Japanese context. And that, again, is, is the work of, of us. And we can be very great, grateful and thankful for what, what, what's been provided through, um, through Twitter and through these kind of channels that we can then take that and, and bring it in and disseminate it into um, our individual you know, local local communities, and I think that's maybe what we will see happen. Um, and it's sort of like uh, you know the way 
Japanese manufacturing. It, it took the best parts of this and that. Um, you know, every country learns and borrows from others, and and that sort of um, flow of culture that it kind of it's it's kind of good globalism. You know, we sort of get the best bits and we can share and build something together, and ultimately. I can then go and send some sats over the over the over the Lightning Network to someone, and 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 they can get some value, and I can get some value, and we're all happy. So, I mean, that, that's I think that's a, probably a good place for us to um, wrap up, Rigel. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm just curious uh, if if you want to send the listeners to to uh, to follow, you know, any, any links to follow, or they can find where, where can they find you online? Sure. I mean, so I'm Coinshore NZ on most media on Twitter on telegram if you want to dm me there um which is easy and then passing my signal number or something like that so yeah, yeah. fortunately i'm still falling to the telegram trap uh, uh medium to coin on medium if you yeah. want to like delve into some more philosophical ideas you know have them there and uh same thing with um uh, i try and have got all my chopped up all my videos and got them nice yeah, without all the other stuff from the rest of the conference on on uh, YouTube on that channel as well. So any of those there, Coinsure and Z, um, and uh, DMs are open. So yeah. just don't don't uh, don't DM me. Hey, how's your trade going? Otherwise, I'll, I'll block you. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, all good, man. And look, I really appreciate your time. And again, thank you Likewise. for um, for Likewise. doing all of this. And um, yeah, let's let's keep in touch, man. Thanks, man. All right, see ya. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. I do hope you enjoyed the show. I am Cody Ellingham, and that was the transformation of value. If you'd like to get in touch, please send me an email at hello at the transformation of value.com and I will get back to you.